0: So today we're starting a new sermon series, Christ's method alone, and uh, today really part one. Uh, it's it's called true success, which in reality it's just um, it's really just a really really long introduction to the rest of the series. So I hope that's okay. Christ's method alone, and here's here's what's been going on. So I've been personally, been personally challenged over the last several months. Probably since um, I mean yeah, since the fall especially. I've been personally challenged to revisit the vision and the mission that God has for this congregation here in Castle Rock, the Castle Rock Seventh-day Adventist Church. I mean, it's it's a really heavy responsibility to be the Adventist congregation in Castle Rock, to be the first, and um, you know, from the very beginning, we've been seeking God. You know, like what, what is His mission? What is His plan? And um, I I would say that there are a lot of things to be thankful for. Amen. I mean, seriously, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we're coming on to our two-year birthday, our two-year anniversary. Um, we actually launched, I think it was April 22 of April of, of 2017. We're going to celebrate our two-year anniversary on May 4 this time around, just uh, for scheduling's sake. And hopefully it'll be a little bit warmer outside where we can do some things outside and stuff. But we'll give you more details as to what that celebration is going to look like. But, um, but there, there are a lot of things to be thankful for over the last two years. Um, and even though I, I celebrate that, I affirm that, I, I look at that and say, wow, God did that. Um, I realize that God still wants to do more. God still wants to do more. Um, But He has so much in mind for this church, a church that is more than just a place, a church that is more than just a program, a church that is a people who are seeking God, sharing life, and serving the world in preparation for His soon return. A community of people who experience conversion, a community of people who are fulfilling the gospel commission, a community of disciples who are making disciples. That's what I think God has envisioned uh, for, for this church. And I've had a lot of time to reflect um, <clears throat> over the last several months, like I said, especially since the fall when I was really just kind of asking the question man, how can we be a, more effective in making disciples who make disciples? How can we be more effective? I mean, I don't know if you get this sense here in Castle Rock where everything is at your fingertips, where you've got the big city life but the small town feel. You've got, I don't know, there, there's just so much to love about Castle Rock because there's so many needs that are met. And yet, um, there are times where I I just wonder, how can we be more effective in meeting the felt or unfelt needs of this community? And I don't want to be quick to jump to conclusions when I think about those things. And I think that we're still learning to understand the language of this community. Uh, I don't know, that's just, that, that's where I'm coming from. I feel like we're still learning to understand kind of plowing the fallow ground, so to speak. And sometimes, you know, I haven't planted a, a new tree yet. We're, we're hoping to do that this spring. <laughs> um, but I, I was told by someone who has a little bit more experience, yeah, you shouldn't really expect fruit in the first couple of years even, two or three years. You know, it takes a while for things to, you know, a root system to develop and stuff. And so maybe that's where we're at. You know, we're planting something and maybe fruitage that, that we all kind of dream about and hope for and stuff, maybe that's going to come later as we faithfully work the soil. Anyway, so this series um, is kind of uh, an outgrowth of my journey of reflection because one of the conclusions that I came to is that as I looked around at what we were doing and hoping that we can, you know, obviously be thankful for the effect and impact that we've made but want to do more, one conclusion that I came to is that, you know what? This is a burden that, that God laid on my heart. We, as a community, need to cultivate more relational credibility. I think a, a more simpler word would be trust. People who trust us. Friendships of trust. Relationships of influence. Otherwise, I feel like we'll, give, we'll be giving answers till we're blue in the face to questions that people are not caring to know the answers to. Um, or we'll keep sharing a message to people who don't care to know what we know because they don't know that we actually care. And so, this, journey, this series, Christ's Method Alone, I think is, a, is just kind of a product of my journey of reflection. It's a journey that's still in process, I'll admit that, and it's a journey driven by a few questions and one key conviction that God has already given us a way forward. I really believe it. God has already given us a blueprint, a map, a way forward. If we just have the courage to take him seriously. And if we live out the vision that he has for us. So, the first question that I want to ask today is simply this. What, what is true success then? What is true success? I mean, if we, if we can understand that. If we understand what we're headed towards. Maybe we can understand the, the journey to get there. And so, um, we're going to start with Jesus. We're going to look at His ministry, His example, just for a moment. So, go with me to John chapter 17. I really feel like this is the best place to start, because this was near the end of things. Um, We can kind of evaluate how Jesus ministered in and amongst the people. So, John chapter 17, if you have a Bible, it's the fourth book of the New Testament. John chapter 17. And we've been here recently, but I want us to go there again. John chapter 17. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. John chapter 17. And I'm going to start at the beginning, but I really want to zero in on verse 4, even verse 6. But let's start at the beginning. If you remember the context, if you have a red letter Bible, mine's all red letters there. Jesus has been talking. This is kind of the last, the famous last words of Jesus before uh, being apprehended, arrested, taken to Pilate, and then the cross, etc. All these things. So Jesus, he's praying now, and in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 17, I'm reading from the New King James, it says this, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Now, I don't know if you've if you've really taken the time to read through the prayer of Jesus. I mean, this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And this is near the end of his, his earthly life. But man, can you, as you read John 17, I would just challenge you this afternoon, just read through John 17 and ask yourself, man, if this is how Jesus is praying at the end of his life, what were his prayers like all throughout his life that led him to pray like this? You know, he's thinking about God's glory, all these things. Anyway, so he says, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Verse 2, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. That's beautiful. God has given the son power in order to give. Jesus doesn't just take authority in order just to be authoritative. Now He has power in order to give something. To give what? To give eternal life. And what is that life? Verse 3. And this is eternal life. Not just a box with a bow on it. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So here's the son praying that God would glorify him. Praying that, you know, I have this power to give life to people. And not just an existence, but a relationship. That relationship of knowing you, the only true God. And then in verse 4, here it is. I have glorified you on the earth. I have done what? What are the next few words in your Bible? I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I don't know how many of you are pragmatists who are task-oriented and stuff, but there is a certain satisfaction of knowing that you've done something, right? Yeah. Uh, am I the only one? Yeah. You're moving into a house, you realize, ah, I've done it. Last box is in, or last box is unpacked. That'll come some day, you know. <laughs> but when you have finished your work, there's like, yes, and you know the opposite of the feeling of like this is never gonna get done, right? <laughs> Right? That is a nagging feeling. That is a, sometimes a depressing feeling. <laughs> when is this work ever going to get done? And I long to be a faithful and good servant that is able to say at the end of my life, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Jesus is able to do that. Jesus, a- And what's interesting to me is he's able to do that even before Calvary. Which makes you wonder, what was his work? Really? What was His work? It it was more than just to die on the cross, because apparently He finished it before He got to the cross. Alright, so let's let's keep reading here. Verse 5. Whoa, 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 whoa. My pages are thin. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify Me together with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was... And now in verse 6, he's going to get a little bit more into what this work was. He says, I have manifested your name. Uh, You could maybe substitute the, the word character, who you are. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Okay, I want us to just stop right there. What was the work that Jesus finished that he could feel successful about? I would submit to you, if we were just kind of taking some of our cues from the immediate context, it was the work of giving eternal life. Not just uh, years, but a relationship of knowing God. It was the work of manifesting the glory of God. It was the work of revealing the, the, the character and name of the Father to the men that were given to Jesus, i.e. the 12 disciples. Are we following this? Yeah? This was his work. This was his... So key, some key observations. Jesus' work, number one, Jesus' work was, uh, was a work that was given to him. I think that's really cool. All right? This wasn't a work that Jesus carved out for himself. You know what? This is what I want to do. No. This was a work that was, was given to him, and it was a work of revealing the Father... And a second observation that really stands out to me is this, that the work that Jesus was successful in accomplishing had a very specific target audience. Did you notice that in how he's praying? Had a very specific target audience. And that audience also was given to him, according to, what was that, verse 6? According to verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given to me. So the work was given to him, but the the target audience was also given to him. The disciples were given to him. And what's really critical to me, or at least something that I'm appreciating more right now, is that target audience was relatively small. Did you notice that? (laughs) This was the work you've given me to do. I've revealed your character to these guys that you gave me. And that target audience was not the world. No, no, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Right? Jesus said, I came that they might have life. They was pretty open-ended. I came to seek and save the lost, pretty open-ended, global in reach, maybe cosmic in reach, we could say. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But in reality... Jesus' best energy, Jesus' greatest investment of time and attention, had a very, very narrow focus. Is this true, yes or no? Very, very narrow focus. And I think that's how Jesus could pray here. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. I mean, Again, if we have an indefinite—I mean, for those of us that are doers—you um, know—we we need to have like a definite aim and a concrete goal in order us in order for us to say that we're finished. But when we have an indefinite target, it always leaves us as if it always leaves us feeling as if we're unfinished, that we're not quite done. But for Jesus to say that I've finished the work even before Calvary, it means that He has fulfilled a mission. And he knew what that mission was, and he knew who that that mission was for. What was that mission? What was success for Jesus? What was the finished work? Thoroughly revealing the Father to 12 men. That was the work that he finished. He gave them eternal life, which was knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he had sent. He finished the work. He was successful in thoroughly revealing the Father to 12 guys that he had deep relational investment in. Men he had daily personal contact with. Men who were his disciples. Yeah? That's what he's praying about here. This is the work that I've finished. That was the work that was given to Jesus. It wasn't one that it was carved out. It was appointed for Him. It was given to Him. And now I want to turn that question inward. What is the work that has been given to me? What is the work that has been given to you? What is the work that is given to us? Well, Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> when I ask that question, what's the work that's given to you? Maybe you think of this verse immediately, Matthew chapter 28. Maybe in light of our... Uh, Recent quarterly study guide on Revelation. Maybe your mind is going to, to Revelation chapter 14, right? The work of proclaiming the, the three angels messages, or maybe as was studied today, the fourth angel's message. And and it should, our minds should go there, right? Our minds should go there. The proclamation of the three angels message is, without a doubt, what ripens the earth's harvest to prepare people for the soon return of Jesus. no no doubt about that. You read Revelation 14, you've got a people who are following the Lamb wherever He goes, you've got a message that they're proclaiming, and then, boom! Immediately, a picture of a ripe harvest. Jesus is coming in the clouds. We have a special work of proclaiming the Advent message, but I believe that the message in Revelation 14 must be combined with the method in Matthew chapter 28. Revelation 14 outlines the content of what this world needs to hear, Matthew 28 points to the context in which that content is best received. And that's a context of relationship. If you're there in Matthew chapter 28, we're going to the last two verses. Matthew 28 verse 19. If you're there, say amen. Alright. Matthew 28 verse 19. Jesus is speaking. This is the resurrected Christ. There are people gathered about Him. And He says, Go, therefore... In light of the fact that all authority has been given to me. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's right. Amen. So here, what's what's the work? What's the work that has been given to the disciples? What is the work that Jesus, who was given a work himself, is now giving to those who are following him? You know, the the target audience of his own. What is the work that that he is giving to them and and therefore to us? What is that work? Very simple. Verse 19, make disciples of all nations. Yeah? Yeah, we, we, we see that, right? Make disciples of all nations. What's the work? Make disciples of all nations. And what's interesting is that like Jesus, this work has a broad global scope, right? All nations, all nations. But the very appeal, the very imperative, the very act that we are to execute necessitates an individual focus. What is that act? Make a disciple. That doesn't happen in the masses. You follow me? You can't make disciples by the masses. You can make believers by the masses. But you make disciples one by one. Did we follow, yes or no? Am I the only one that sees this? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. All right. <clears throat> so if we're talking about true success... Yeah, you know, I, I, I want our church to, to be able to say, yeah, we finished the work that was given to us. You know? I want to be able to say personally I, uh, that, that I have been effective and successful in this work, in making disciples. I want to have the clarity that Jesus had. But if the commission, if the work is discipleship, then what is true Success. If the work is discipleship, then I would submit that true success is having a relationship of trust with someone who is your disciple. If we don't have that, we're not doing this work. Amen? Yeah. True success. True success. It's a, it's a phrase that maybe you've heard I was reading this, again, last fall, um, just in this time of reflection. This was something that God brought to my attention in a book uh, called Ministry of Healing. Uh, Sometimes people look at that as, you know, in terms of medical missionary work and stuff like that, but, man, you read through this, you get a picture of the life of Jesus that is is really distinct than, than other places in her writings. But in the book Ministry of Healing, she says something very powerful. Christ's method alone will give what... True success in reaching the people. That's powerful. <laughs> I mean, some of us look at that and say, oh, duh, you know, that, that's a no brainer, right? Of course, Christ's method is going to do it. A couple of observations. One, true success, meaning there is a success that's not true. Uh, you get the implication there? There is a success, there's a version of success that's not true. So, what is true success here? What is true success here? The rest of this statement, um, it says this. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. In other words, the method that she's describing is a very relational dynamic. Mingling, sympathizing, ministering, winning. Winning confidence, trust, you could say. And then he bids Follow me. So what's true success here? I would say the end game is someone follows Jesus. Yeah? That's the, that, that's the, that's the fruit. So they're following him. So true success here, it's following. That, that is discipleship. It's a relationship of influence. True success then for our work, if we're following uh, Christ's method alone, true success then would be someone is following Jesus because they're following me. I have a relationship of influence with someone, but really they're following Jesus because I'm following Jesus. Yeah, Um, you know we tend to conclude. I don't know if if I'm the only one, but I tend to conclude that there's no true success if I don't see a drastic uh, decision or drastic growth or transformation in someone's life. Some like some uh, very visible next step. If someone doesn't accept my invitation to. To church, Or if someone doesn't accept my invitation to a seminar, then I feel like there's no success there. Or if my glow track doesn't result in a request for Bible studies, then sometimes I feel like there's no success there. Or if someone's not baptized by the end of our studies, or the end of our seminar, whatever the case might be, I feel like, man, there was just no success there. But what if true success is more than that? If we're forming and sustaining a relationship of trust with someone that's meaningful... And deep and genuine. Maybe we're doing what we're supposed to be doing after all. Don't misunderstand me, please. We want to lead others to baptism. Amen. We want to lead others to to Sabbath-keeping and really experiencing rest in the one who is our creator and redeemer. We want to uh, lead people to to church attendance. And while all these things may be visible and recognizable evidences of success or or metrics of success, you might say, they are not, hear me, they are not the only meaningful metric. Yeah. So if we've been commissioned to make disciples, what we've really been commissioned to do is To make friends who trust us and are in the process of becoming. Becoming what? Well, becoming a follower of Jesus that's prepared for the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. So then how, if this is true success, a relationship of trust and influence. If this is true success, I think we need to ask some honest questions. Am I experiencing success? Am I doing the work? Am I actively cultivating and, and promoting and investing in relationships of, with people who actually look to me for influence? Who, who Maybe they don't call themselves my disciple, but they, they look and they say, you know what, I am allowing your influence to rub off on me. I want that. Am I investing in those relationships? And if I'm not, then maybe I'm not doing the work. So this is, this is part of my, my journey, and I hope that you're, you're sensing the, the weight of this, because if we as a church are not investing in that, those kinds of relationships, then we are not doing the work. We're not going to get to the end of the line and say, I finished the work. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> remember, this is a work that's given to me. But remember back to John 17. Let's see if we can go back there. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. I want us to ask the question, how do we move toward true success? Throughout the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at Christ's method alone and things like that, and just kind of study that out, what that really looks like, how to experience that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to study that method inside and out. But first, but first... When Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world, there is a prior conversation that Jesus has had with God. (laughs) There is a prior conversation. Jesus knows who was given to him. In order for him to have these relationships of trust and influence, he had to know (laughs) that there were people given to him. And my, my appeal today... Is more of a question. Do we know who is given to us? Do we know who is given to us? I think there's, there's a... This is something that we're quick to bypass. You know, we, we talk about making disciples of all nations, and we think about that in generalities. Okay, let's go make disciples of all nations. But who is that? <laughs> who is that? We're quick to make disciples of all nations generally, but unsure of who we should disciple personally. We're unclear about who God has given to me to engage in a discipling relationship of trust and personal contact. And if that's God's commission for us, I truly believe that He has a gift waiting for each and every one of us. I'm giving you this person. Make a disciple. I believe God is waiting to give gifts to you and I. The gift of a name, the gift of a person, the gift of a soul that we can lead in a process of becoming, in a process of becoming. So, simple appeal today. Will you join me in praying for a revelation of who that gift is? Yeah, Will you join me in praying for a revelation of who God is giving you in this season of your life? Will you pray for direction about who to invest deeply in and and pour your best energies into who it is that God has already given you in your sphere of influence and relationship already? Or maybe there's someone else that He's going to give you in your sphere of relationship. We're called to be more than church attendees. We're called to be more than church members. We're called to be more than ministry leaders or volunteers. Amen. We've been called to be disciple makers. So let's do the work. Let's do it. So, simple challenge pray. Let's ask, seriously ask. Maybe we need to pray and fast and ask God, who? Who am I going to pour my best energies into? Not just because they're biologically related to me, but because they're divinely appointed for me. I need to disciple this person. And then, as we pray through that, you know, God will give us how how to disciple, how to disciple. Okay, so that's the challenge. Don't just make it a flavor of the day, a flavor of the month. Let's seriously pray. Maybe pray and fast for a divine revelation. This is the one. This is these are the two. These are the three. Maybe it's twelve like Jesus. I think that max is that Jesus was probably the max capacity, right there. Um, But yeah, that's a simple appeal. So how many of you, by raising hands, will say, yeah, I'm going to take some time, not just this week, but over the next several weeks, I'm going to pray for a revelation of who God is giving me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray now together. Father in heaven, this is our desire. You know that we just long to do the work that you've given us. Not just so we can pat ourselves on the back, not just so that we can check something off the list, not just so that we can feel successful. No. But because you have loved us, we want to love others. Would you please? Like, like uh, the promise that Becky read for us earlier to We are lacking wisdom, God. But you said if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask of you. So thank you in advance for revealing the precious gifts that you're waiting to give us. Thank you for revealing, opening up our eyes, pulling back the curtains, allowing us to see the individuals that that are already in our spheres or that are soon to be in our spheres of influence and relationship. We pray that as we journey through this together, that we would understand, that we would have the courage to to walk forward, to actually do something about the things that you are revealing to us. And so, even now maybe, the Holy Spirit, you're you're prompting our minds and, and our hearts with names and so just in the silence of our hearts, we are lifting up these names to you. God, we, we, we're not even quite sure how to pray for them. We're not even quite sure how to speak with them, relate to them, invest in them, sympathize with them. Lord, whatever that looks like, we just want to thank you in advance for doing it by the power of your Spirit, through our availability. And Lord, we thank you in advance for those who will be standing ready, saying, lo, this is our God, in whom we have trusted. Oh Lord, we want to be there. We want to hasten that day. In Jesus' saving and precious name, let the families say, Amen.